And today we are doing um, a Q&A with a panel of wonderful musicians. So to start with, um, I'm just going to ask, let's go down the line, um, starting with Megan. Um, if you'd like to introduce yourself um, and a little bit about what you do and some of the wonderful things going on in your life at the moment. Hi, I'm Megan Laramie. Um, uh, and I live down in Brighton. I go to Emmanuel Church. Um, and I'm a singer-songwriter um, and electro-pop artist. I've released um, an EP onto Spotify, which you can find online. Um, and uh, I've played at a number of festivals. I played at Glastonbury Festival um, a couple of weeks ago. And I'm loving life. It's great. <laughs> uh, hi, my name's Nathan Fellingham. Uh, I've been a musician since pretty much leaving school when I was 16. Um, I have played uh, predominantly drums has been my key instrument over the years. I used to have a, a band with my, uh, my wife Lou. Um, I also play keys and um, songwrite and a bit of production, that sort of thing. Is that cool? Hi, I'm Neil. Um, woo! Um, the best thing about me is my wife, Becky. She's pretty awesome. Um, she's serving our young people right now. Um, I am 27. I live in Catford, go to King's Church London, one of the pastors there. And um, yeah, I started in our youth band when I was, I don't know, must have been about 11 or 12. I was playing electric guitar, wasn't very good. Realized acoustic guitar was a lot easier, so went to that and kind of stumbled into starting to lead. Remember the first time I led worship, I was like, played four chords and knew about two songs and my youth pastor massively encouraged me. And um, yeah, just kind of trusted God and did whatever he put before me uh, kind of since. And yeah, it's great to be with you. I'm Isabel. I go to Emmanuel Church, Brighton. I'm 21. I had to remember that in my brain. I'm 21. Um, I've been leading worship for about six years and releasing music for about two years. So I'm a soul and other stuff artist. I've got some bits on Spotify um, and been doing some little gigs around Brighton, but currently work at a coffee shop. And I will add in, I'm David. Um, I will be hosting this Q&A session. I'm also a composer. I write contemporary classical music. Um, I can shove out a few awards, but you probably won't have heard of them because contemporary classical is really niche. But if any of you have any questions that go in that way, I might jump in as well. Um, now you know who we are, I want to give you guys um, a few minutes. Why not just turn to the person next to you, just have a quick discussion. What sort of questions do you want to ask? Have a, have a minute to, to think up what you want to ask us, and we will come back and ask them in a second. Okay. Who wants to go first? I... Do you want to run? Yeah, I feel special then. Eeny, meeny, miny, you. Hey. Um, hi, guys. Um, my question is... Can you hear me? Cool. My question is, when writing songs, worship in specific, how do you differentiate whether it's going to be congregational or just a song that you like to sing that congregations might not sing? Yeah, I think um, some of it is a choice, just uh, getting to a, a point where you think, 
am I going to take this down the congregational song route or am I not? Uh, because there are some quite, uh, you know, there are certain parameters that trying to get a massive, well, I, I, however many people who are um, mixed in terms of ability and ranges and all of that sort of stuff that congregational songs kind of fit into that means you just, you just have to make certain decisions rather than taking a phrase up into you know, this area you might think I can't do that because that will be too tricky for people to sing um, so I, I think it is just a, a decision that you have to, have to make at some point um, I'm trying to think any other thoughts Neil? More? Yeah I think I, I think that often with like if you have a song that's a bit borderline I mean fundamentally what you know there's a bandwidth, isn't there, as to what's congregationally, but sometimes there can be some quite subtle decisions to make, whether it will really land congregationally, how singable it is, um, the range on it. And then I also think lyrically, if a song is too metaphorical, I think sometimes you can have a beautiful song, but sometimes if a song is too metaphorical, it, 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 it can't, I don't think it's as accessible for everyone so I think often you're writing a song and there is a point where you just have to make some sometimes really hard decisions like I really love this but if you really think this could work congregationally you might have to let go of some things uh, surrender some stuff in the interest of it being sung by people and, I, and obviously I think people have different callings I think some people are called to write stuff that honours Christ but is but isn't you know is, is to go out there um, and almost songs that is like some people wouldn't know that this is Christian. Almost like it's that kind of. But I, personally, I feel more of a, a calling or a passion to write. I mean, hearing people sing your song is such a privilege. So um, yeah, but I think I, th I totally agree. It's, I think it comes down to decision. Can I just ask? Have you? Do you find yourself in the position where you're writing? Um, where, where do you find yourself? Are you writing songs that you think? I love this song and I'd love to be able to make it congregational but don't, but don't want to do that or is it vice versa? What's the scenario that you're, the kind of question's coming from? I'd say probably the former. Like, I've written quite a few songs that are worship songs but aren't congregational and I go, oh, this would be so great if I could sing this with people but then I'm like, oh, this is a bit too musically complex for people that might not know how to sing it or I don't know, yeah. So it's kind of just how... Like, whether it's a choice at the beginning of writing a song or whether, like Neil said, during the song process, you go, oh, actually, I might have to surrender this part or give up this. So, yeah, it's just, yeah. Cool. Let's go. Okay, who's next? We're okay. <laughs> Hello. Oh, wow, that was loud. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I'm Sam. Um, a big fan, Isabel, by the way. Love the Overflow, great song. Um, and for those on the panel that write both uh, worship music and secular music, I was just wondering, what approach do you take for writing songs? And how do you differ when you're writing a secular song and a worship song? Yeah. Um, do you want to... Is that for me? Yeah, ask it. go okay. for it. Um, I don't, is the answer. Um, I... I probably don't have the healthiest songwriting process. I don't record any melodic stuff because I have the rule that if I can't remember it, it means the melody wasn't good or singable. Um, I often try to treat songs like beings, which sounds a little bit weird, but I am basically, I don't really like 
going, I'm going to write this song, it's going to be this, 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 this. I kind of will just start it and we're just going to see where this goes and how this travels and how it flows. Mostly because I, I like to try and keep my stuff very relatable, like my secular stuff very relatable. Um, Overflow was the first worship song that I've ever written and hadn't really intended for it to be a worship song. It was kind of just like, oh, I've just got these lyrics in my head and went and sat down and that's kind of how it started. And then it brought it to some other people who have great biblical knowledge and great knowledge in, in worship songs. And they kind of helped me to get some verses down basically and get some content down. But um, I didn't, I've never, I've never gone into anything with like a flat out intention of today I'm going to write a worship song. And actually on the times that I have, it's turned into something else and has worked in the opposite. And I've often ended up with secular stuff rather than a worship thing. I don't know if that's actually the correct process to do things, but so far it's working until it stops. I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, I think, um, so we have something at our church called Songwriting Fridays, um, which is where a team of us will, um, will collaborate on a Fridays and we'll write songs um, for, for worship. And, um, but I'm a secular songwriter primarily, um, but I love working collaboratively because I, I sometimes don't know where I'm coming from as a worship songwriter. And so surrounding myself with people who know what they're that what they're writing about, know how to incorporate theology into a song is, is a really good process. And um, I found it really, really helpful myself. And also I found um, having a brief. So sometimes we've had briefs of like, um, we're going to write a praise song. And I found that really helpful as a secular songwriter trying to write worship music as well. So. Can I just add, I think it's helpful hearing Isabel talk because there's a, a sense in which there are no there are no rules and there's no right or wrong way to write songs and and actually part of the part of the joy of songwriting is to try different things and to put yourself into into collaborations where people have different approaches as well so i think you know it's great to go in with a you know for one day to go in with a really strict brief um and say no i'm not going to go this way or that way i'm going to go to a brief and other times to to be let's just jam and see where something goes or to put somebody that loves doing that with somebody that's really kind of brief oriented and see what happens or and it might suck you know just have to try again with somebody else and just yeah there are there are no no rules apart from you have to keep going and keep going with what works for you and find what works well for you hi um, do you have um, someone to help with lyrics or music? Do you do, you do it all, uh, lyrics and music, or do you have a lyricist to help you do the music? Is that addressed to anyone particularly or to anyone? Um, I think, personally, I... I dabble in every area I've definitely had times when I've been stronger in musically stronger um, lyrically and weaker in other areas whatever um, but as I say coll uh, collaborating with other people is amazing um, like some people will fly at lyrics we've got people who are in this room who are just like they can bash out lyrics in a moment um, and it, I love writing with those people um, we have people who are um, amazing at production and maybe they'll come up with a with some, some beats first and that might, that might lead the way that the song, song goes in terms of songwriting. Um, but I don't think, I mean, 
personally, I don't, I don't think I'm uh, geared any one way. I don't think anyone else probably is either. Yeah, so uh, again, I love writing in team. Um, so in our context, we take uh, a group of us away every year for a weekend, um, which helps, one, it just gives us, in a sense, a moment to write towards. Um, so there's normally about 12 of us go on a weekend, we bring our songs and we just, we just, um, we allow everyone to comment in. And again, you get some people that are super strong um, lyrically, often people that are uh, quite strong theologically, uh, which really helps. I, I my, again, my writing changes, I'm, I'm a big believer, so I do, I'm, I'm the opposite to Isabel, I always record. If I hear a melody, so He Is Alive, um, I said the other day, came out of two voice memos on my phone, two separate ones in different worship times that I ended up being able to put together and so I, I do that. Um, probably I often start more with music personally, um, but, yeah, I don't, but I just, I love writing in team. You just, in everything, team always just seems to bring out the best um, and you, you know, you, you have people that cover where you're weaker. Um, and a benefit in, in our context is uh, we run our song, so Andrew Wilson is our teaching pastor. So um, he is alive, I sent to him, and he came back with uh, one comment on it, which was really helpful. So it's also just seeing who's around you and who can you bounce off. And yeah. I will just add on there that I am, um, as a composer, it's very easy to have the, um, the view of the um, isolated genius that Mozart just wrote all this stuff alone. Um, and up until about a few months ago, I would have very much said, when I write songs, when I write music, it's all me, and I don't like giving it to other people because they might disagree with me and I don't want to have that conversation. And over the last few months, I've started collaborating with performers in my classical stuff and actually love it. And it, it is so much more fulfilling to be able to have other people involved so well worth trying it if you don't I think Matt is it Matt Redman as well that says three is the optimum number because then if two, if you disagree you're never going to have an equal vote so if there's a different opinion you're always going to end up two to one and it just helps in decision making with songs so brilliant who is next Sam where are you running <laughs> hi um, this is just a general question about composing uh, I do, I'm trying to get more into composing like myself, but obviously um, I, I do music GCSE, so like, I have to. Um, just tips about if you are working with other musicians, how would you do that? And um, what software do you use? And like, how do you like, what's fine with that? Yeah. So for me personally, um, when I was doing my GCSEs, I used Sibelius. I wrote everything in notes. Um, and it was just handing over to performers. Um, now I write what I describe as weird stuff. I use Microsoft Word because nearly everything I write is text instructions rather than actual notes on a page. But what that has enabled me to do is I work more closely with performers than I used to. So it's not just giving them a page of notes anymore. It's talking to them in the process. What can you play? What can't you play? What sounds good on your instrument? What doesn't sound good on your instrument? And that helps as a composer so much. I think, it's, you, again, you've got to figure out what actually helps your creative process. So um, you know, if, you're, if you're trained in you know, writing dots on a page and being able to hear what that looks like, I mean, that's an amazing you know, th skill to be able to learn. And, uh, and to do that is, is, is brilliant. Um, for, 
people that can't do that, then actually using something like Logic um, or other other software stuff where you can create beats or you know actually hear what you're what you're writing straight away and hear it back, that can be really helpful for you know for probably the majority of people. So both again, both neither approach is more or less valid, uh, but it's a case of how does it what inspires you, what helps you. Um, again, some. Uh, some songwriters I've worked with love to always have music playing. They always want the vibe kind of happening uh, as you're writing. They don't want to ever, ever lose that. Um, whereas others get, you know, want, want it to stop and want to internalize and think it through for a bit before. Um, and again, just, just kind of figuring out that journey for what works for you and with whoever else is in the room. Um, yeah, is, is important. So, yeah. Do you use any software currently? Um, so I can't get... I can't get Sibelius at home because it's quite expensive. Sure. So I use this thing called Noteflight. Okay. So it's like kind of like you log into it and you use it and then like I do it from home and then Brilliant. Like use it from like home to school. That's kind of how I use Amazing. it. Amazing. Oh, well done. It's great. To the, uh, the instrumentalists, um, how long was it after you learned your instrument and started playing it in the worship band? How long did it take until you were like really worshiping as opposed to worrying about what notes you're playing and how you're singing and stuff like that? I guess for the singers as well, but yeah. Who wants to take that? <laughs> um, I come at that uh, from a completely different angle. So I was um, a musician before I was a Christian. I only became a Christian, um, I think, five years ago. Um, so I w I've been playing since I was six. Um, but even then, coming into church, and like we have this thing called on song. Do you know on song? Um, so it's got like all of the all of the the music on, and it's got uh, either you can have it in the Roman numerals or you can have it the chords as letters. Um, even just getting used to that, I was like, this this is different. So um, it took me probably about a year when I joined the worship team to properly be like, actually, and. I can just relax and not think about what the music is any, anymore. And also, I was learning what the music was at that point as well, so I'd, I'd never heard half the worship songs before. So, um, yeah, but I'm probably quite different to these guys. Yeah, I suppose I'd want to lean into your question a bit, um, just asking when you say transitioning into, into worshipping. I, um, I suppose my question is, are you talking about actually getting to a point where you feel comfortable playing the music? Um, because I, um, I'm sure, I, I guess I'll just answer it anyway in, in this way because it came to my mind. But just obviously the process of learning how to play well is also a great worshipping thing to do. Um, so just to throw that in. But I think it's, um, and I think actually you then flow in and out of worshipping and being kind of uh, in a place where you can take you know, you can play things comfortably or uncomfortably throughout all your journey. I think if you ever reach a place where everything you play is just comfortable and easy, then you've kind of got to up your up your game somehow or try and push you know push yourself so you're always kind of moving forward. So I'd see that as a as a not a, a kind of here's the start and then you reach this plateau, but always trying to yeah find ways to to be pushing yourself so you don't ever get too too comfortable. Um, and we see that as very very much a worshipful thing to do. Yeah. Does that help? Brilliant. <laughs> Who's next? Is anyone next? Yes. <laughs> um, 
When you're writing music or songs, what helps you to concentrate? Because sometimes I find like, it's the same with writing stories. If you're writing a story, it's fine. It, I find it hard to concentrate. So you can just sit down and think, I'm going to write this. And then you just write down all your ideas, but then like, you just stop because you've got nothing else. So what helps you to keep going? Uh, worship. So, yeah, I, I, if I, if I'm purposely sitting down to write, I will always start by just worshiping first, um, and it's kind of out of that that st- stuff starts to come. And normally, most of the melodies or things that I hear, most of them have come in times of worship. Um, so that that is always where I go. Um, yeah, I might put worship music on and read the Bible for a bit and just dwell on a passage. If there's, if there's, a, if there's a particular theme that I want to write about, then I might try and, you know, just sit in a passage that talks about that with worship music on. Um, I do most things with music. Like, I work with music on. I, so most of the time it's putting some stuff on. But my, probably my biggest thing is I'll sit at a piano. I'll sit at a piano and I'll just play. I'll play a load of songs that I know that I haven't written that just feed my soul and take me into a place of worship and then I find that's the most productive place for me to then write um, it's good to also maybe think about where you're writing the song so I find if I try and write songs in my bedroom I get quite easily distracted and I'm tired and will tend to fall asleep on the bed because I just get bored um, especially if it doesn't feel like ideas are coming so looking at like I try to write a little bit more outside of the house or like sometimes I'll write on the bus on the way to work or in the dining room and something where I'm not going to get as distracted by like a computer or the TV or other people talking around me and that kind of stuff um, I like to take lots of breaks in between writing because I get frustrated re- very quickly when things don't come fast and so just little breaks and taking a walk and making a tea and that kind of stuff and, um, and prayer it's like, I feel like that's a really obvious answer, but prayer, because God helps you to write, and whatever your ideas are, whether it's Christian or, or not Christian, not congregational, whatever, like, just pray and ask God to move through you and to give you fresh ideas and, and fresh stuff. I think that's something else I just thought of is the reason my team, we go for a weekend away, is we have found... Um, it does just sometimes take a bit of time to get into a creative space like so it helps us to get out of our normal day-to-day lives so we go to somewhere in Dorset so we're from London I'm used to seeing concrete buildings so to see grass is like oh gets me all creative Um, and and we find that over the weekend Friday night kind of like we're a bit slow Saturday by the time we, we get to Sunday we find ideas are just sparking way more because we've just got into a place where, you know, work back home or house chores have just dissolved a little bit and there's just a little bit more capacity for thinking. So, what's your name, buddy? James. Have you written anything? Okay, do you want to? Great. Do it. Yeah, start by just sitting in your bedroom, put some worship music on and... um, just, yeah, ask, a big thing, ask God. Just say, God, I want to write songs that speak about you, that glorify you. Help me. Um, God wants to give you stuff, James. 
just as Neil was speaking to you, God wants to give you some ideas and God's going to give you ideas and stuff for stories and stuff for songs. So I just, I challenge you when you go home, just take like 10 minutes and just sit and say, okay, God's I'm ready. And God's going to give you some ideas. God's going to give you some songs. Brilliant. Hi there. Um, I found in the, in the UK, in, especially in the majority white churches, that where the Bible says that we should minister to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that there's very little psalmic songs that are sung. There's a lot of songs. The songs are predominantly talking about the work of Christ, what Christ has accomplished. Um, there's a lot of praise songs. But there's, when I look at the psalms, they cover the whole breadth of the human experience in God. And there's songs of praise and, and great exaltation. But there's also, as for me, as a, as a man who's gone through a lot of negative, dark stuff in my life, I don't feel free to be able to write in that manner and to be able to express it. And it's almost like it's not allowed. And I look and I think to myself, in, our, in what's happening in our nation, that I think it's needed. So how, how does that, um, what is the process to be able to kind of allow those kind of songs to be expressed in the church? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think, the, I guess the, the challenge is, in because really we're talking about a congregational setting again, aren't we? And, um, and obviously in a congregational setting, you're putting words into the mouths of a whole congregation of people. And so obviously there are certain themes which whoever you are in the room, it's, it's, it's a good thing to sing, it's a good thing to say. Um, and in a sense, that's probably where the lion's share of songs, you know, come from, as you said, as you rightly spotted. I think where what, the, the kind of song you're describing is tricky because as a songwriter, you feel like you could, you could write something very, you know, very psalm-like, um, you know, I feel desolate and lonely and like I just want to, you know, thrust my face into the dirt, God, this morning. It's a very, that's a, you know, would be a very genuinely, you know, <laughs> correct thing to say for some people some of the time, maybe a lot of people a lot of the time, but... It feel, but it's very hard to put that into everybody's mouths at a particular moment because actually you might find that the language is not, doesn't suit everybody at that point. So it's not something that therefore we should never do, I don't think at all. But I'm, I'm just, in a sense, I'm just explaining the challenge uh, of how you then do that. So I suppose, I mean, you could answer it in a, it could be a, a case of in our our charismatic liturgy, um, for want of a better expression, that we actually do need to create more space um, for those kind of songs where you're not actually expecting everybody to, to join in by all singing it together. It could be something that, that actually, a performance song from, from the front, something that you can listen to and, and identify with, um, could, be a, you know, could be a good model. Um, it's just not something that I think many of our kind of churches do currently that that much so yeah so, so it's a good question um and one that needs further reflection and and figuring out and neil has actually given a lot of time and thought to this question 
and he will answer it now. I've got all the answers, mate. <laughs> we'll speak at the end. <laughs> I, 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 I think it's an area we, we do need to reflect more on. I do, and I think... I'm really glad Nathan just brought up the, the topic of liturgical worship, and I think there is a... I don't know if you've read Andrew Wilson's new book, um, Spirit and Sacrament, but if you haven't, I would highly recommend getting hold of it. And I think he ha there is a challenge that he has raised for us as to... He, he poses a challenge that, as the church, we don't have to be spiritual or liturgical. And he's really calling the church to find the best of both worlds, that there is... Uh, help me out. Well, as far as I understand it, a liturgy would just be like a structure, you know, a structure of, of worship. So something that somebody could write down in, a, in, a, in any room. At 10 o'clock, we're going to do this. It's a prayer. 10.010, .10, Psalm, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, I, and I think it, it's utilizing some of the things that have been written throughout the course of history in Christianity. So even uh, the other night was such a fantastic moment when we read the Lord's Prayer together doing things like that and reading out the Apostles' Creed together, statements of faith. Um, so obviously a lot of us probably have sung the song This I Believe by Hillsong, but maybe not many of us have ever read the actual creed together. Um, and, it, and it's finding, I think, what maybe came with the, the move of the Spirit is we've lost some of that historical richness which, and I think Andrew is partly saying that I think there is a time for us to regain some of that. And I think part of what you're saying is in that. Yeah. Part of what you, can, what you find in liturgical worship is more kind of lamenting. I, I think as white Brits, we don't do well at lamenting. We don't. It's like stiff uh, upper lip. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think one of the reasons I said it is because in the black church, I think because of, and especially in America, because of the long history they've had with um, racism and 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 knowing, do you know what I mean? The and I'm talking about in terms of societal, structural racism and so forth. The they could relate to the songs of suffering, and it was a means of expression and a means of. And I look, and, and the only reason I said it is because I wouldn't have said it if it wasn't in scripture and in the New Testament. And so I say that's why I say we have hymns. We have spiritual songs, whether it's a song in a moment or a song that doesn't um, theologically seem so hymn-like in terms of just about the works of Christ. But when it comes to Psalms, and when it says Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, it puts Psalms first. And I look and I think there's something about... Um, I said to somebody that the, the uh, Psalms are kind of like the blues but with hope, because God is in it. And, and, the, and it still points towards God. It's not hopeless. I just sing about my woes and woe is me, and that's the end. There's always, there's always but for God or, or something, and if you read through the psalm. So that was, that was my, I'm not saying that it's throw away everything else. I'm talking about in addition to the good history that we have. And I still think there's a kind of, of lack yeah. And just because of we all suffer and we suffer in different ways. Yeah. But no, I agree. I, I think it's an area we, where we could, we need to reflect on. And I think there is, 
there is more space for lamenting in our worship, I think. Um, I would also say, seeing as you brought up the topic of race and worship, um, uh, we, uh, a couple of months ago, had a conference in Brighton uh, at Emmanuel for worship pastors, and I did a seminar there about uh, leading multicultures in worship, where I, along with an amazing lady from my church called Alex, um, who led the choir this year, um, we spoke on um, worship and particularly um, how actually a lot of uh, black churches' expression of worship is actually rooted in slavery. Actually, the way that in in a lot of black churches, their expression... um, it, it's massively rooted in their experiences uh, in slavery. And so uh, if, if, that in, if part of that question and just that interests you, um, you can go on Spotify, Worship School, um, and you can listen to that seminar. Um, but I, I think there's learning for us to do there as well, um, for sure. Thank you very much. Um, a little bit more of a practical question. Um, so... I've kind of been on our worship team this year and um, how do you find a balance between like musical preference and just choosing to put things down so we worship? Um, so, you, you know, people often say like worship team's quite political, who you put with who and things like that. How do you balance people or like keys and things like that and um, songs that people want to sing and some other people don't want to do? How do you balance um, compromising and yet... Um, and the musical side of it with just worshipping? Because um, obviously there's both when you're doing it congregationally. So, Megan, do you want to answer as, as someone who plays in worship bands, how, how do you as an individual balance out um, your, I'm going to put a false divide here. I don't think this is the divide. But how do you balance out your sort of your spiritual self and your musical self? Um, I don't think they should be separate. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think they should be very closely linked. I think when I'm thinking about the music, I should be thinking, well, because as a, as a worship leader myself, I like to ha- in my band. My band is actually the same band I use outside of church, so I play with them in secular um, places as well. And um, it's all very electro-pop, so the way that we do worship is quite... It's got a bit of a USP to it. But, um, so I really enjoy doing that. But obviously I'm going for a sound with, um, with worship, but I'm, I'm not doing that being like, I want to achieve electro-pop worship. I want to achieve... Pe- I want people to be connected in worship. What is the add-on is that I'm... I'm adding a bit of a sound to it. And actually, the, the goal is that I want people to be connected. So that should be, like, the primary focus. It's just like, it's like calling, isn't it? It's like your primary calling is to build the kingdom. Your secondary calling could be anything else. So if in worship, your primary focus is to, um, as a worship leader, is for people to connect with worship. Your secondary focus could be the sound and, like, anything. And I think, yeah, hope that helps. So in our team, um, we are really upfront with when people join our team, we are super upfront with stuff like this. And we basically say to people, it's a bit of a, you need to die to yourself moment. And if you're going to join this team, um, you, you need to surrender your personal preferences at times, a lot of the time. Um, you, this is about what we're doing as a whole, not about you as an individual. 
Um, you're going to surrender style and preference. Um, and I think it really helps when you're just really up front at the front end because down the line, when you do, when there is a challenge, when someone does say, well, well, you can say, look, I told you in the beginning, man, like this isn't about you, this isn't about me. I think naturally the leader, whoever leads your team, will, like in any team, set the culture. It, you know, fundamentally, if they're the leader of the team, it's they've got to build... Um, a philosophy of worship. When I say philosophy of worship, like we, everyone has a philosophy. In everything you do, you have a philosophy, right? It means you have a way of doing it. Even when you, approach, when you have a shower, you have a way that you do it, okay? We approach everything with, a, with our way. And I think when you're the leader of the team, you get to set that. Or, or, or your elders do. So at my church, we have a very clear philosophy of worship. This is what we're trying to achieve. These are some things that we don't want to do. Um, and, and everyone that joins that team is saying, I'm under that. And so the clearer you can be up front with your philosophy of worship, your culture as a team, the, the quicker you can call it when people step outside of that. In a loving way, of course, but fundamentally, like anything, you, you've got to submit to the leader and to the philosophy that's at hand. So the clearer you are with that, the better it's going to be down the line. So I was um, about 15 when I first started leading worship, and my, um, my knowledge of like, musical stuff, just generally in a band and directing a band, was very, very, very limited. So even though I was leading worship on a Sunday, behind the scenes... Um, we had a musical director in the band and he was pretty much calling most of the shots um, musically. So the dynamic of the band looked very different than other bands would because I didn't have the, the knowledge or the maturity at that point to like fully, fully lead everyone musically in the way that I wanted or the way that we felt we need to go. And as I got older and matured and developed as a leader and and got closer to God, my understanding of music changed and what I wanted changed and the way that I led changed. And so that's developed over the years. And we have a team, we as a team have like kind of shifted a little bit. So it feels more that I'm leading them rather than they're leading me, but it's still as a team. Um, but I think it's like, like it's okay to say, like on, in my case, I'm really bad at this. And it's okay to give that to someone else who are like, you've got very clear gifting in this musical side. And I, at this point, do not. So I'm going to give this to you and I'm going to learn this from you. Or I'm going to follow this person. We're just going to go with this. And I think that's, like, that's okay to do. It doesn't, doesn't mean that you're a bad worship leader. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be in that position. It's just a learning curve. And I think there's always more that you can, like, I'm always going to learn more. I'm going to be better next year than I am this year. And so there's always more that we can learn and more that we can do. So it's okay to just delegate stuff and give stuff over to other people if you feel like this isn't my strong point. The other thing in that question was that talk about um, playing in a band is very political. Does anyone have anything they want to say just on how to work with people in a band and how to resolve differences well um, when in that moment uh, yeah I mean I think, I think Neil um, talks about leadership and obviously that is a, a key thing whatever the, 
whatever the situation is, you need somebody to be, to be leading through that. But that doesn't mean necessarily the leader having an agenda that everyone just kind of, and, and everyone is then silenced. Because um, I suppose really in this context as, as well of wanting people to have a good heart, you also don't want to squash creativity and you don't want to, uh, you, you know, so many people talk about, oh, worship music is a bit, you know, it can be a bit the same, a bit, can we do something fresh? Can we do something new? And it's like, and the, the answer is always, yes, yes, we want to. We would definitely want to do that. We don't want it just, you know, it to be kind of stuck in a, a, just a very small kind of pool of sound and such. So, um, the, and the only way to discover those new sounds is to let some, is to sort of, let some things fly from from other people coming up who've got a different who are going to rub a bit you know stuff's going to come from the from those that are, are pushing against the norm you know that's where stuff will come from so but in that process that still has to be led and that has to be done uh, with a with a sense of just a good spirit amongst the the team so you know whatever happens we've got to reach we've got to let people allow people to worship well and allow people to sing well but um, yeah, and that's yeah. So it is. It so comes down to leadership, all of that that kind of thing. But in a context of hearing people and allowing people to flourish where you can. I think as well, like you will in any team, you're going to have moments where you rub, and and it and it, and again, just be aware. Like we're doing a very, just by essence, the team work in worship. Your emotions are heightened. Your creative people and us creatives are just you know, well. We're emotional. And so there are going to be moments because you're passionate. And that's a good thing. It's first of all really good to acknowledge that that's, that's a strength. That when you get passionate people, you're going to end up with something really great. If no one's passionate, then you ain't going to end up. So it's a byproduct of something really great potentially happening. So that's good. But what you've got to be, you just got to be super quick in, in dealing with confrontation as well. So in my team... Like, my team know now, the minute I sense, like, there's a bit of friction between... I'm having a conversation with you. And sometimes it's a bit awkward. Um, but I'm, I'm so quick now just to be like, look, let's, let's talk this out. Um, I, yeah, it's quite funny. I, I think as well, the only thing I'd say on that is the right timing of having that chat. So there have been quite a few times where on a Sunday morning, someone in my team hasn't liked a decision I've made or something, and I've just had to say, look, let's park this like there are moments where I've had to say look we're going to do this let's park this but as soon as the meeting is finished we're ha- I'm there and like, like talk to me tell me what was going on in that moment and, and normally if you get to the conversation quick enough it can be resolved really well um, and again fundamentally the, the underlying all of this is we're, we're serving him this is about him we're surrendering our own stuff to serve him and if you as a team in your culture keep that as number one priority, you, work, you have times as a team to worship him and be with him, not just serving and giving the whole time, then I think you're in a good place. Yeah, really good. Did, what's the, cool, I think we've got time for one more question, if it is out there. If that is the end of the questions, then, yeah. Hi, just a general question, like, um, what kind of music influences you? Like, what kind of music do you like? What do you like listen to? Yeah. Um, I love electro pop music. Um, I love pop bangers. Um, my favourite artist at the moment, um, artists. I love um, Sigrid. Do you know Sigrid? Um, I love Maggie Rogers. Um, I also like to listen to like uh, slightly more old 
people like Kate Bush and that kind of thing, and that definitely influences my voice. Um, yeah, I like to just I listen to a lot of stuff, and it is really helpful. Like if you're writing songs as well, because I said you're a composer, what you input, so what you listen to, will become your output. So if you're like just listening to one kind of music, you're probably gonna end up writing that kind of music. If you have got a really eclectic taste, then your music that you're writing is probably gonna be more like widespread. Uh, I think I enjoy uh, rhythm. Uh, being a drummer, there's certainly I enjoy stuff that grooves. So a lot of a lot of groove stuff actually for um, you know early Stevie Wonder and Earth Wind and Fire, all that sort of stuff. Grew up you know listening to a lot of that stuff and wanting to drum like that, wanting to be kind of uh, sitting in a pocket groove-wise. Um, but I also love harmony as well. I really enjoy um, sort of more complex kind of rich harmonies and and that's probably the two things that then provoke melody so i appreciate i've just said i like rhythm harmony and melody which are the so it's not very specific but actually that kind of is the order it's like rhythm does does something uh, to me in terms of uh, kind of setting a tone and then the the harmonic stuff then releases melodic stuff so yeah um i listen to loads of stuff um in my teens i was a proper heavy metal guy um, I, that like, figures. Like I can proper, see that. man. Like I'm not kidding. Like Slipknot, Killswitch Engage, Metallica. I was just like that was it, um, and that was mainly what I played. Um, I actually had like this, it's called a BC Rich Beast guitar. It's one of what one of the Slipknot guitarists had. I used to lead worship in a youth band from that, which used to scare the kids. I'm pretty sure. Um, I now listen to so much. I mean, my favourite is like soul and gospel. So, I mean, Israel Houghton is, is... Like, what I love about Israel is that you get gospel with rock. Like, there's this fusion with Israel. Um, particularly his older stuff, actually, more so than his new stuff. Um, I love Rag and Bone Man. I, I saw him live a couple of weekends ago on Blackheath. Um, so, yeah, I love a bit of soul. Um, Isabel Bain, I think, is like... <laughs> I mean, Isabel is, is just... <laughs> going up that playlist um, but I love a lot Ezra Collective they're just you know it's just bangers so yeah um, yeah I try to keep it varied so that I can write some varied stuff um, I like DC Talk I don't know if anyone's heard of DC Talk but if you have you should definitely check them out um, who, they're like a rock band I like a lot of Lauren Hill stuff like her older stuff and Alicia Keys Lots of gospel, lots of um, Kim Burrell and Israel Halton and Kirk Franklin and Fred Hammond, and it, it can kind of just go down the line. So mostly soul and gospel with little bits of other stuff. And country. I love country music. So, like, I cannot stress this to you. It gets all the feels, all of the feels. I love country music a lot. I'm currently listening to a really weird mix of stuff. I've recently really got into Billie Eilish. I'm loving her stuff at the moment. Um, I'm not, I realise that my next, the next few names are probably going to be people you've never heard of. Anna Forvalsdottir is an Icelandic composer who is stunning. Poppy Aykroyd is a pianist based in Brighton who's amazing. Um, John Cage is a 60s guy who I'm listening to a lot of. Um, and Amnon Wallman is someone who my lecturer introduced me to and blew me away. So those are my recommendations. 